Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. So good to be here with my Celebration family. Are you doing well? Fantastic. I want to welcome also our campuses, Julianson Creek. Good to see you. Orange Park. That was my old stomping grounds. Good to see you guys. Let's welcome you here to our services. And uh, it's just good to be in God's house on the last Sunday of the year. Amen. You know, you could have been a lot of different places here on the last Sunday of the year, but you chose to be here. And I believe that you'll see in this year that it'll be significant because the Bible teaches you and I that the way you finish one season prepares you for another season. Amen. Oh, it's so good to be home. Thank God for my pastors and my family. Thank God for my pastors, Pastor Stovall and Carrie Weems. Um, anytime I travel, they always say, well, who's your biggest influence, your mentors? That's the pastors that lead us week in and week out, amen? And so I'm so thankful for their life and their commitment to the house. And so uh, I've got a word on my heart that I believe God will um, use to prepare us for the new year, and I'm excited to jump in. Um, but as I do, I wanna ask you a question. Who, uh, who thinks that, who feels, who believes that 2019 was your year? 2019 was your year. You got the engagement ring, you got the promotion, you got what you're believing for. Okay, not many in the room, that's okay. It wasn't your year. The first, the first service, it was their year. Okay, so now you're with me. Who can't wait for 2019 to go where it came from? You're just ready for a new year, all the things that God has in store in 2020. All right, that's why you're at church today. Now it all makes sense. You push past sleep and rain. Fantastic. Well, um, I have a message I believe that God has given me for you today, and it's called this. It's called 2020 Vision. I believe there's a vision that God has for you in 2020 that you're going to walk into as you walk in it with faith and obedience. Let's pray. God, it's our privilege and our pleasure to be in your house, God. For we know that when the Holy Spirit moves, we change. So we offer these next moments to you, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way like only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to ask someone here, do you remember road trips when you were a kid? Anybody remember road trips? Depending on what generation you came up in, road trips look different. I get it. I'm a child of the 80s. Anybody grow up in the 80s here? It wasn't that great. If you didn't grow up in the 80s, I'm missing a whole lot. Mom and dad would throw you in the station wagon. Anybody remember a station wagon? Oh, man. If you don't, you are blessed and highly favored if you don't know what a station wagon is. Nothing great about station wagons, but we would take off every year to go see family or friends, wherever we're going, 14, 16 hour drives, and it was always miserable. There's only so many I Spy games you can play with no technology in the car. There's only so many exits you can count, if you will. And my dad, it always seemed to happen that we would get lost where we would go and he'd pull out the map. Anybody remember a map? I'm not talking about Google Maps. I'm not talking about your Waze app. I'm talking about actual map and you unfold it and the big deal. And if you don't know any Spanish men in your world, one thing you need to know about us, we do not ask for directions. It's just not in our DNA. As a matter of fact, you can ask my family, I have changed our destination if I can't find where we're going. That restaurant wasn't good. You guys wouldn't have liked it anyway. So be quiet. You're going to like this restaurant. This is just what the trips would look like. And so if I'm honest, I didn't appreciate the road trips growing up. And I wonder if some of us in here today didn't appreciate the road trip that was 2019. Uh, there was some exits you got tired of counting. There were some moments of tension you got tired of going through. And it felt more like a road trip than living life. You felt like instead of enjoying your life, you were just really enduring it sometimes. 
And I want to think through the lens today of this past year being a road trip. And there's some values and lessons that we learned in that road trip as we head to this place and this promise called 2020. Amen? Amen. In this road trip today, as we gather together, we're all riding together. It's a pretty big station wagon today, okay? We're all riding together on this road trip and looking back on the year that was and, and what hopefully we're doing, we're riding shotgun and we're letting Jesus take the wheel as the great prophet declared, didn't she? The great prophetess Carrie Underwood. You guys remember this? <laughs> what, you're not country music fans? Are you kidding me? Isn't that what the South is about? Country music and sweet tea? Maybe, no? Okay, we'll keep moving on. Um, true story, I know nothing about country music except for this one small portion in my life when I was pursuing this girl named Courtney Morgan. You might call it stalking, I call it pursuing. <laughs> These were the days before social media and so you had to really do your due diligence. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Those were some hard days. And so I was around her one time, didn't talk to her, but I heard her say one time that she went to a Garth Brooks concert. Do you guys know who Garth Brooks is? I wish I had you in my life because I didn't know who he was at the time. And so I asked around and found out he was a, a country music entertainer. And so I set my heart to learn the culture of country music. I say culture because it's a culture. And I set my heart to watch every CMT episode. Is that still a thing, CMT? Country music TV, maybe? Uh, set my heart to learn everything about country music that I could. And it's an interesting culture. There's a lot of heartbreak, a lot of loneliness, and a lot of empty bottles. Can I get amen? That's what I surmise from country music in, in those moments. But um, I remember I forgot this opportunity finally to speak with her. And when I first spoke to her, I was like, hey, you wouldn't happen to know, you wouldn't happen to know who Garth Brooks is, would you? She goes, you like Garth Brooks? I'm like, I love Garth Brooks. He moves me. Oh, gosh, every time I hear him sing, he just breaks my achy, breaky heart. That's an older country reference to Billy Ray Cyrus, but she knew I was doing my homework, right? And as they say, the rest is history and it all worked out. But on this road trip today that we begin to look back over the year that was and prepare ourselves for the year that we're approaching, I pray that we learn values that maybe we didn't value then. Because if I'm being honest with you, I didn't value the road trips in those moments, in those years of my life. But what now as I grow up, I find out in the moments of the road trips, in the moments that I didn't like, my father was speaking words of wisdom into my life. Like Pastor Petey said, I'm a second generation pastor. I didn't know I was gonna be a pastor, but he began to speak words of wisdom into my life that currently make me the man I am, the husband I am, the father I am, and the pastor that I am. And I just wonder if there's not moments, you might've called them tension, you might've called them frustration. Are there moments that God spoke into your life in the midst of tension, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of where you would rather not have been in this past year that I could prepare you for this year. I believe as we reflect over the car ride that, that was 2019, God would speak things like this into your life. He would say, remember, godliness with contentment is the greatest gain you can have going into this new year. Are you aware of that? The Bible says as a believer, that the best thing you and I can hope for is godliness with contentment. That would be the greatest gain. He would also remind us that we should not wait until the storms of life pass before he give his name glory and honor and praise. Amen. Go ahead and give him some praise right now. Put your hands together. Put some praise on your credit for what God is going to do. And he would also tell us not to fear but embrace the tension between contentment and complacency. 
Embrace the tension between contentment and complacency. If you serve God here for at least a week or 40 years, you will know God operates in, with, and through tension. Have you noticed yet? Relationships, there's tension. Life, there's tension. Work, there's tension. Mental, emotional health, there's tension. Finances, there's tension. Raising kids, God help us, there's tension. There's tension and this is how God works in our life. This is the calling card of God and he works through this in each and every area of our lives. When we're living for him, there's a tension of not just hearing his word, but walking it out. My least favorite verse in the Bible is, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. My least favorite, because I can't just listen to a sermon on Sunday. I can't just listen to my favorite podcasts. I can't just listen to my favorite one-line quotes. I've got to walk that thing out. The tension, God, between hearing your word and doing it. How about this tension? The one that we're in the world, but not of the world. Oh, that's a hard tension because I don't know about you, but in my life, I don't have to try to sin. It just happens automatically. I got to try to live for God. I don't have to try to be self-absorbing. It's just very natural. I've got to try to serve and not to be served. I don't have to try to not do the things that I don't want to do, like Paul says. It just, it happens naturally. For many of you here today, you're experiencing the tension of God calling you to be a provider of your home. But at the same time, God is asking you not just to provide, but also be in your home. That when you're in the room, to be in the room. You can't be a manager at work and then manage her at home. Not what God called you to do. Not be a manager at work and then manage the kids. No, he's telling you to love, to lay your life down like Christ laid his life down. Are y'all seeing my problem with the tension from 2019? Do Do you see why God wants us to not run from these things, but really embrace them? Amen? This tension is healthy, I promise you. Whether you believe it or not, someone say it with me. Tension is healthy. Go ahead, give it your best try. I don't believe you. One more time. Say it with me. Tension is healthy. Tension is healthy. I'll show you why tension is healthy. By definition, here's what tension means. Tension means the act or the stretching or straining. The act of stretching or straining. See, stretching prepares you for what's ahead. Straining prepares you for the event that's ahead. Do you know how I know that? One day, many moons ago, I was a soccer athlete. And in college, we would have to stretch before the event or stretch before the game. See, the stretching prepared us for what was ahead. When we get to the playoffs or a bigger game, we would have even more trainers and would stretch even longer because it was a bigger event or watch this, a bigger occasion. I just want to prophetically declare over someone's life tonight that if the stretching or the straining from 2019 was more than you wanted, was more than you hoped for, it's because the event is bigger than you think it's going to be. Maybe, just maybe, people had to stop talking to you in 2019, so in 2020, you begin talking to God. Maybe in 2019... People had to stab you in the back so you would know in 2020 who's got your back. Maybe people had to rise up against you and 
2019 so you would know who's for you in 2020. I don't know what your 2019 looked like, but maybe you had to taste defeat in 2019 to appreciate the flavor and savor the flavor of victory that's coming for you in 2020. This is what your God can do through the tensions of the past year that was. See, tension is God's reminder that we can't do this life alone even if we try without the counsel of his word, without the accountability of his people, without the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. Amen? The biggest tension maybe of the Christian life is a tension between contentment and complacency. Have you been there? Have you been there? See, we're told in the scripture, 1 Timothy 6, 6, we're told, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We're aware of that. God calls us to be content. That'd be the greatest gain. But yet in the same breath, we're told complacency will destroy us. Proverbs 132 says this, the complacency of fools destroys them. So here's the tension that you and I have to work through. The tension that we have to trust God in. The tension that we don't run away, but we run to God with it. The definition of contentment, and this will help you, I believe, is this. Contentment is being thankful for what God has provided. I challenge you like I challenge myself. When's the last time I said, God, thank you for what I have instead of God, here's what I need. I challenge you in this new year that on your, in your everyday prayer and time with God, let your thank yous outweigh your I don't haves. Let your glory to God for the things he has done outweigh your God, here's my need and here's my deficiencies. I challenge you, let them outweigh you, the other. The definition of complacency is this. Complacency is when we give less than our best for what God has provided. Less than our best. It's when we prayed for something and now we've already got it, so it doesn't matter. It's when we pray for the job, now we show up late and leave early. It's, we're complacent with what we prayed and believed for. And you and I have to manage these tensions literally every day of our life. God calls us to be content in our relationships, but never take the people for granted God put in our lives. Speaking to the married folks in the house, are you aware if God wanted to give you someone better, he would have done it? He's God, remember this. The Bible says it pleases him to give you good gifts. Did he miss out on you? He didn't, I promise you. We're to be content. Content, but never complacent with the people in our lives. We're to be content in knowing Jesus, but never complacent in seeking him at a deeper level. I want to ask you a question. Have you already begun talking to God in your prayer life about the year that you're entering to? Praying and believing that 2020, you will not be the same person you were in 2019 or 2018 or 2017 or God help us 2016. Because if you do the same habits and same behaviors, guess what's waiting for you in 2020? The same thing that year was waiting for you in 2019. Here's where I take issue oftentimes. A lack of contentment is pretty obvious. Because when we're not content, we say things that reveal the heart. The Bible says out of the mouth what comes what's in the heart. And a lack of contentment is pretty obvious. Um, you'll know this by if you ask somebody, hey, where do you live? They'll start the sentence like this. Well, right now, here's where I live. I didn't ask right now. I, what, no, just where do you live? Where do you work? Well, right now, here's, here's where I work. 
Hey, what kind of car do you drive? Well, right now, this is what I'm driving until someone said I get my bank account and checking account right. I don't know who it was, but somebody said it. It's, contentment is very obvious if we have a lack of it. But you know what's not so obvious? Complacency. Because complacency is oftentimes in our head. It's in our heart. We know how to hide complacency, but it's, it's dangerous. It's almost a blind spot in our lives. Have you ever been driving and it's far too much effort and energy to turn and to look at that side mirror or look in your blind spot? So what do you do? You look in the side mirror, right? And then when you shift over lanes, you almost take out and sideswipe the car next to you because you didn't see what was in your blind spot. And complacency is very similar to that to where oftentimes we don't see it until it's too late. We don't see it until someone brings it to our attention. We don't see it until God allows us to be in a situation in life. We're like, God, what's going on in my life? And we see, oh, complacency has, has led me to this place. I wanna to talk to you today about God's people, the children of Israel. And they have gone through different seasons in life. They've been in 400 years of slavery and captivity. They've been through 40 years of wandering and they're going to a place where they're on the precipice of entering into all the promises God has for them. But you know what's in their way? Potential complacency. Anybody a fan of obscure scriptures in the Bible? Like you like to just find things that you don't hear often about? I'm, I'm definitely a fan of that. I wanna take you to what I believe to be an obscure scripture, De Deuteronomy chapter three and verse 11. And the context is Israel is facing what they don't know is the last city and the last giant, and they're going against them here. It says this in verse 11, King Og of Bashan was the last survivor of the giant, of the giant Rephites. His bed was made of iron. It was more than 14 feet long and six feet wide. Someone say, that's the California king. <laughs> First California king recorded in the scripture. What we see here is the last giant of the last cities was right in front of their face. They didn't even know it. If you studied, you find out that they'd overtaken 60 cities and 30 giants. And this was the last of the last giants, the last of the last cities. And I just wonder for someone in here today, if you're not fighting your last battle before you see what God has promised for you. If you're not one prayer away from the promise that God has for you, if you're not one moment of forgiveness away and just letting bitterness go of walking in with all, the, all that God has for you. If you're not one moment at the altar away from breakthrough. If you're not one more tithe away from what God has for you. If you're not just one moment away from the breakthrough God has on the other side of what you're experiencing right now. You see, here's the problem for many of us. We can't see anything other than the season that we're currently in. We don't think about, you know what? This season has to end like it began. Their season's about to end and they don't even know it. But this last giant they were fighting, it was different than the rest of the giants they had faced. So when you read the Old Testament, you read about the giants, we're probably familiar with a few giants in the Old Testament, and you read about their warlike qualities, the things that if you came up against this giant, he would take you out. He would hurt you. And so when you read the scripture, you read about all the qualities. And so when you read about a giant and you read about their qualities, it tells you how they would hurt you. I want to show you some examples. First Samuel chapter 17 and in verse four, here's a familiar giant. It says this, then Goliath, you heard of him? A Philistine champion from Gath came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel all by himself. You gotta be a pretty bad dude to go by yourself. Why was he not afraid? Because of this. He was over nine feet tall. 
He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore a bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. And if that wasn't enough, his armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying his shield. His shield was so big, it even had its own armor bearer. 2 Samuel 21 and verse 19, here's another giant and we see why they're dangerous. During another battle at Gob, Elhanan, son of Jair from Bethlehem, killed the brother of Goliath of Gath. The handle of his spear was as thick as a weaver's beam. In hand-to-hand combat, if you had big hands like this, you could do damage. And finally, in verse 20, it says, In another battle with the Philistines at Gath, they encountered a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all, who was also a descendant of the giants. I can't tell you what 24 digits does or how it makes it dangerous, but apparently it does because they highlight that. But what we see in here in the scripture is this, the attention to detail given about these giants and how they could hurt you. But in the scripture about King Og, we got no attention to detail about any of his physical attributes or any of his armor. There's a reason for that. Here's what the verse said. I'll remind you of it. Deuteronomy 3.11, it said this, King Og of Bashan was the last survivor of the giant Rephites. His bed was made of iron, was more than 13 feet long and six feet wide. Biblical scholars believe we get no physical attributes or indication of his strength because he was, the, he was very symbolic in the sense that he was a subtle giant of complacency. You see, whatever he was doing was working. He was the last giant of the Rephites. We get no intel about his sword, about his spear, about his shield, about anything. They have to go into his personal quarters to see that his bed is massive. He is a massive giant. What he represents is a subtle giant of complacency that will lull his enemies into, well, this guy's not that bad. Well, this city's not that bad. They don't have that much for us to worry about and they would destroy their enemies. Complacency is so dangerous because you can't see it externally. It's something that most likely will happen internally. If the giant of compromise has killed his thousands, can I tell you this subtle, subtle giant of complacency has killed his ten thousands. If the giant of bitterness and unforgiveness has killed his thousands, for us in here today, the subtle giant of complacency has killed its tens of thousands. See, complacency is when we lack passion to be obedient for God. And then when we recognize that or it's brought to our attention, eh, doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter. You have a lack of want to or will to draw closer to God and to be obedient to him. Complacency has probably destroyed as many churches, Christians, and and even families as sin and the devil himself. That's how dangerous complacency can become. You know, if you ever have the opportunity to go to um, specific cities in Europe, you'll see a lot of old churches. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. You go to Paris, you go to Athens, Rome, you go to these cities that are old and you have these churches that are hundreds and hundreds of years old, but now they're monuments. 
They're not churches. They're monuments. They're, they're the show of what once was. And every time I go to one of these places, my heart is stirred and it's moved. And I begin to ask the question to God. I say, God, at what point did praise ring out in this building and then it just stopped? At what point were prayers lifted up for healing and for strength and life and the last prayer was prayed? At what point were the altars open to the hurt and the broken, those who just needed God's grace and strength in their life and they shut the altars down? At what point did your anointing hover in the place and now all that hovers is ticket prices and tourists coming in and coming out? At what point does a place go from a church to a monument when it becomes complacent? When the things of God no longer matter? When instead of growth, it's maintaining? There's no longer a testimony that's current. It's what once was. If you talk to somebody and you ask them what's their testimony and they take you back to 78 or 88 or 98 or 2008, or 2017, that's a problem. I'll tell you why. Every year should be a testimony of your life. Amen. Amen. You might not know it yet, but I've come to tell you that 2019 was a test because it was a testimony. That there are things in your life that you should know that God is working in and through you and that your testimony should not be dated more than a year. In this past year, what did God rent your heart for? How did God move you? How did he transform you? How did he lead you and guide you in places and spaces you have never been? How did you grow? How did you not maintain, but you sell out for God like you have never sold out before? What did you give to God that you were always afraid of giving him before? What ways did you use to compromise that you no longer compromise in? Mentally, emotionally, physically, our testimony is year in and year out. Year in and year out. See, Satan like King Og, they're very similar. Satan will lull you into complacency in not some crazy overt way. Like he won't throw something in your way and say, wow, well, I'll lose all the progress that I've gained this past year. Now just lull you with certain small things, not really emphasizing on a relationship with God. Just know that you're saved, you're good. Not really emphasizing you know, being a part of the whole story, Bible reading plan, because, you know, I grew up, I went to vacation Bible school. I, I, I know enough to get by. Not really putting emphasis on being together and gathering on a, on a Sunday or coming to a midweek. I don't really need accountability. I, I know. And that's what he hopes that we fall into. Just loss and complacency in different areas of our life. I don't really have to forgive. I mean, they did hurt me. They were at fault. No, we forgive because it's for us. And we get freed from that. And we follow the example of Jesus. And see, the 21st century Christian, you and I, we more than anyone in the world, more than anyone in the world, this is most dangerous for you and I because we have it so easy when it comes to serving God. I mean, look at where we're sitting today. You can serve God on your terms, on your time, when you want to. Go to a building that's too big, you go to a smaller one. That's too small, go to a medium-sized one. The worship's too loud, go to a softer worship. The preaching's too hard, go to softer preaching. We can do whatever we want, kind of however we want. Almost the flavor of the day or the flavor of the church. And we can get real complacent. They didn't sing my favorite song. They didn't quote my favorite scripture. They didn't look like the preacher that I grew up with 
And we just get just very complacent that church is about us, but really it's about him. In our culture, checking the flesh and making sure we're in the place that God wants us to be, not the most popular message if you haven't seen that yet. If you go to conferences, and I find myself at many throughout the year, what you'll hear most is health and wealth. It sells the most tickets, doesn't it? Gather men, scream health and wealth, and everybody's jumping up and down. But that's only half of the gospel. Our God, he provides health and wealth, but he also works through tensions of life. He also wants to use the difficult moments of life. He also wants to check the flesh. So much so, I wonder if Jesus had a church today, probably wouldn't be well attended. Probably wouldn't be what we call a mega church, would it? Have you read his sermon series? After Jesus would preach, people wouldn't flock to come see him. They would say, wow, rabbi, that's a hard saying. Who can live by those words? Eat your flesh and drink your blood, what? Jesus said, if you leave the flesh unchecked, you'll become complacent. And we see this all throughout the scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation, God constantly reminding Israel, Jesus constantly reminding his people, hey, check the flesh, check your walk with God, make sure whether you're on a church staff, whether you've been in church forever, whether you're new to church, make sure you don't fall into areas in place of complacency in your mind, in your heart, in your marriage, in your thoughts. Stay focused on God. There was this one time in the book of Amos where God's people, things were going well for them. They were experiencing external wealth, but they mistook that in, for internal or spiritual wealth. Things were going well. They didn't have to worry about overdraft protection. Can I get an amen? The relationship felt good. The kids were actually listening. The bills were paid. Things were going well. And so they forgot about their spiritual focus. And God has to remind them in Amos chapter six, verse one, I'll show you. It says this, woe to you who are what? Complacent. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion. And to you who feel secure or a false sense of security in Mount Samaria. Let's not walk through this life thinking that we have it all together. Let's not fool ourselves. If it had not been for God who was on our side, where would we be today? You and I are one decision away from not experiencing the life as we know it right now. And so I said, hey, be careful there on Mount Samaria when you think it's all well. That's why the Bible says we seek him for our daily bread. Daily bread. God provides manna on a daily basis that we would seek him every morning before our feet hit the ground. Holy Spirit, how are you leading me and how are you guiding me? Jesus, he begins to preach and teach. And he talks about the farmer that falls to complacency. And here's what he says, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 25. He says this, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Translation, his harvest was destroyed. There is a harvest waiting for you in 2020. God has already prepared the way. The seeds have already been planted. Will you be alert and ready to protect the enemy from sowing seeds? Seeds of complacency, seeds of doubt, seeds of disobedience, seeds of compromise. Will you be alert and will you be ready? See, this giant of complacency is killing singles. It's killing 
marriages. It's killing families. It's removing the hope that we once had in God. Well, I hoped that God would do this and he hasn't. So I'll just kind of live this way and do things on my own. We know that starts with complacency. There's a gospel of complacency out there. You hear it preached in churches, in offices, and in homes. And it sounds something like this. It's the gospel of it doesn't take all that. Have you heard this gospel? It doesn't take all that. Now I want to preface with, I'm not talking about legalism. You and I were saved by grace. The penalty was paid on the cross of Jesus Christ. None will be plucked out of his hand, the Bible says, right? We're good. Our salvation is good in Jesus. But when you get to a place in life where God moves you, God stirs your heart and he stirs your soul. And the first thing that comes to mind is it doesn't take all that. Be careful. Woe to you who are complacent on Mount Samaria. When God moves on your heart in a service to serve or to give, or God moves on your heart in the office to help somebody out or to go out of your way to help somebody in your community, when God moves on your heart and the first thing that comes to mind or comes to heart or advice you give is, it doesn't take all that. Be careful. Because maybe it takes all that and more. Maybe it takes all that and more. You think about the first Christian martyr, Stephen, did it really take all that to be stoned to death? With his very last breath, he cries out, Father, lay not this charge at their feet. Did it really take all that, Stephen? Maybe it did take all that to show people no matter what you go through, you forgive, you love. He kept his heart, his soul right, no matter what people around him were doing or saying. Did it really take all that, Jesus? You just could have met them up there at the cross, right? Hang out at Golgotha and when it's time to get on the cross, jump on the cross. Did you really have to live 30 years of blameless life, get baptized, be tempted 40 days and 40 nights? Did you really have to take the 39 lashings and carry your own cross? Did you really have to do that? Did it really take all that, Jesus? It did. To show you and I that no matter what cross you carry, God is with you and God is for you and his plans are perfect in your life. One of the biggest dangers in my life, and maybe you've seen this, is that complacency will confuse you in many different ways. But specifically, complacency will confuse your spiritual discernment. You'll begin to look at fruit and think it's the root of things and confuse the two things. Like when you want to just fix your heart and fix your eyes on God and really want to do things different in 2020, you know what you've done. You know what they've called you. You know what you've experienced. But this is a new year. This is a fresh start. It's a new season. Ready or not, here it comes in two days. It will confuse fruit with root. And I'll tell you what I mean here. Second Samuel chapter 11, it says this. In the spring of the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. But David remains in Jerusalem. David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. See, when you're complacent, you find yourself in a bed of complacency. David wasn't where he was supposed to be in the spring. He was in the bed of complacency. It says, from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The men said, or the man said, she's Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, king. She likes country music, if you need to know something about her. And uh, she, she's also married. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. You wouldn't want anything to do with her. You're God's chosen king, right? That's something Saul would do. You wouldn't want anything to do with her, right? Well, not when he's in the bed of complacency. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and says he slept with her. 
See, in the bed of complacency, it'll cause you to do things out of character, won't it? Many people misinterpret what this passage is all about. It's not that David was a liar, not that, was, that he was a murderer, not that he had dysfunction in his home. All, the, all those things were true. This shows what happens when we're lulled into a false sense of security and complacency. Because at the end of the day, he was still what? A man after God's own heart. But he let complacency creep in, didn't he? You guys know the story well, Judges chapter 16. Samson, he loses his strength when Delilah has his hair cut off. But I would make the argument, he lost his strength the moment he laid in the bed of complacency. The moment he lays in the bed of complacency. You know, for the children of Israel, as they would fight these battles, they would bring back war artifacts to the city to remind them, the future generations of how God moved and how God made a way. And so the elders would bring the next generation up and they would say, look at what our mighty God has done. Swords, spears, and shields. And every generation would say, wow, Yahweh, our God is mighty to, be, mighty to save us from any city, any king, and any giant. And year after year after year, they'd bring back these artifacts and show the next generation. Well, after this battle, you know what they do? They, they bring the artifact back to the city and the elders begin to show the next generation, here's what our God has done. Sword, spear, shield, and bed. And the next generation would say, well, hold on, I don't get this. I see how those are dangerous. Sword, shield, spear, but, but bed? How was, how was that dangerous? And the elder would get to say, that one, that's the one that almost took us out. See, because we didn't know that was the last of the last giants. We didn't know that was the last of the last cities. We didn't know had we been lulled in by the false sense of security with King Og, we didn't miss out on all that God had promised for us. I want to ask someone in here today, what are you going to bring into 2020 from 2019 to remember all that God has done? What are you going to bring with you? What are you gonna bring with you to remind you to not be complacent? If you all stand with me as we go into this worship song. And I just feel like in this moment, God wants to speak something directly to you. You could rush out if you've got to, but if you can stay, I believe God will wanna say, don't let this moment pass you by. Don't let this be another message, but, but think through the lens of God. If Israel can be complacent, that you are literally leading by a pillar of fire, by a cloud, like, wow, I could be complacent too. As we go into worship, could you begin to think that maybe if there are moments or places or spaces in your life of complacency in your marriage or complacency in your walk with God or complacency in how you serve or how you treat people, can you begin to think through those errors and let God lift you up and let Him strengthen you? So as we worship together here, let God speak to your heart. Let Him encourage you. Let this be a moment of victory, a moment of power, amen? God wants to do something new and fresh in His people. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.